Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's go before the Lord before we get into the Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Spirit. And Lord, I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. And I pray to be able to rightly divide your word of truth. I pray for all of your people here, Lord, and myself included, to have open and receptive hearts uh, to what you desire to speak into our lives tonight. And um, also to be open and receptive to what you desire to do in us and through us uh, via your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, once again, we ask that you be glorified. We pray for understanding and fresh insight as we read and study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, in our more, most recent studies of 1 Samuel, we've actually seen the rise and we've seen the downward spiral of Israel's first king. And, of course, his name is Saul. And along the way, as, as we have ventured through these studies, we have learned some principles that are going to help us to reach our full potential in Christ. And that's the theme, the, the overall idea, main idea that the Lord placed upon my heart uh, when he placed this study in the book of 1 Samuel upon my heart to share with you. And that is, once again, Reaching our full potential in Christ. Now, the lesson tonight will, of course, help us on our journey to reach that full potential in him. And it's going to challenge us. Speaking of the lesson, it's going to challenge us to adjust our mindset so that our mindset will be more in line with God's view. And so... If you haven't turned there already or swiped there already, if you're using a device, look at 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to pick up at the first verse. And we do have a title, as usual, and the title of the lesson is The Least Expected, The Least Expected. And so in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? How long will you grieve over King Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? And the Lord told Samuel to fill your horn. In other words, to fill your flask or your container with oil that would be olive oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And, and so just like Samuel tonight, as we see in the text and in verse one, we can also get stuck on something or someone that God wants us to move on from. So, so some of us may be stuck on a person. Maybe it's a government leader or maybe it's a religious leader and we may be stuck on that person. Maybe it's a person you're in a relationship with and, and the Lord is saying that it's over and you need to move on. Or maybe it's a failed goal and you're still trying to push that goal. 
because you have such big dreams, because that is the expectation you have placed upon yourself. And so you're stuck on that goal and you're upset and you're crying and you're grieving over the fact that you have not met that goal, that things are not going the way that you think they should go. And and the Lord may be saying to you, how long will you mourn over that goal? How how long will you mourn over that person or over that leader, religious or maybe a governmental leader? Or how long will you mourn over that door that has seemingly been opened, but now the Lord has shut it because because he has bigger and better plans. So how long will you grieve over that? See, when I was in high school and even a little bit in college, I had big dreams and, and running track and field. And one of my goals, of course, was to run in the Olympics. And I ran the 4 by 100 the 4 by 400 the 400-meter uh, race, the open race, as well as the 200-meter race. And and I was doing fairly well. I, I came third in city in the uh, in the 400 in the city of L.A. Uh, my last two years of high school made it to the state prelims in California for the last two years of high school. And so I had some big goals and big dreams in regard to track and field and getting letters from UCLA and various college coaches handing me their cards and telling me to hold on to them. And it was an exciting time because I had those big dreams, those big goals. But there came a time where that door was closing and, and I felt like maybe I still had a shot. And so I was still trying to hold the door open, but the Lord was shutting that door until it got to the point where he just removed that desire from me and I began to focus more on being the family man and getting my education and being a school teacher and so the Lord helped me in that process and given me different desires apart from my own expectations and so yes personally I do know what it's like to be stuck on something that God wants you to move on from just like he wanted Samuel to move on from Saul But in verse 2, it says, and Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears it? He will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer, which is a young cow, with you and, and say, have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And so here we see that the Lord knew about the potential problem of Samuel going to Bethlehem, that it can raise up some havoc or cause trouble. Because Saul would probably get suspicious and become upset. And the Lord also knew about Samuel's concern. But God, as we see here, he had a plan. He had a plan that would address the potential problem of Saul going crazy over Samuel's arrival in Bethlehem. He had a plan that would address the problem. He also had a plan that would get the job done of anointing the new king, which was the Lord's fuller intentions here. But notice that the revealing of God's plan came after Samuel asked God a question. And after Samuel let his concern be made known to the Lord. And so, of course, the overall goal or the more full purpose of him going to Bethlehem was to anoint a new king 
by the name of David. But then God, once again, he revealed his plan to Samuel of how he was going to go about getting that done and miss, you know, Saul becoming upset with him being there. And again, that revealing of the plan came only when Samuel asked God a question and revealed his concern to God. And some of us tonight, yes, we may know what God wants us to do. Overall, we know what God's will is, the job, the task that he has before us. Overall, we may know that. But like Samuel, we don't know exactly how it's going to get done. And so we need a little wisdom and we need some guidance from God on how to get that job done. And praise God, that's something that God invites us to do because it tells us in James chapter one, verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so wisdom goes beyond knowledge. Knowledge is just a gathering of information. And so you hold that information in your mind. But but wisdom is a skill in living. Wisdom shows you how to implement that knowledge that you have in your mind. And so we may have the knowledge. We may be knowledgeable, but many of us lack wisdom. We lack the know-how. And, and if we lack that, we can go to the Lord who invites us to go to him to, to ask ask of him, Lord, how do I get the job done? Because I'm kind of limited. I'm a little fearful of what may happen. And and it says that the Lord will give to all wisdom. He'll give us wisdom liberally, or he'll give it to us generously. And guess what? Without reproach, that means he won't criticize us in doing that. He won't find fault. He won't look down on us for coming to him because we need some wisdom. And that's the gracious God, the good God that we serve. And in verse three tonight, it says, then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And so God is still sharing this plan with Samuel. And God says, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name you. And so Samuel did what the Lord said. And he went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town. They trembled at Samuel's coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves or set yourselves apart to the Lord is what it means. And he says, and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated or he set apart Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. And in verse six, it says, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature or height because I have refused him. I have not chosen him for the Lord does not see as man sees for the Lord looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel, he probably has the same image of Saul in his mind because Saul was head and shoulders. That's the first king of Israel. He was head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel and he was handsome. And so automatically when when Samuel saw Jesse's first son, 
when he, when he saw Eliab, he said, surely this must be the next anointed or chosen king. But that goes to show us that humans can only see what's on the surface. We can only see what is visible with our eyes. And without special insight from the Lord, that's all we're going to be able to see. But the thing with God is, is that God is able to look at the heart. He looks past the visible. He looks past a person's height. He looks past a person's handsomeness or beauty. He looks past a person's money or position or fancy cars or big house or or nice job. He looks past all that and he and he looks at the person's heart. He looks right into the core of man. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, it tells us this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's why I never tell somebody to follow your heart when trying to make decisions. And that's just a side note. But notice the question there. It says, who can know it? Who can know the heart? Who can know the core of man? But it doesn't stop there. And so that's why I added verse 10 here. Because it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so what we see here is that what impresses people or what impresses us, it does not impress God. Or that watch, that piece of jewelry that has a bunch of diamonds on it, that is impressive to man. Those, those new pair of shoes that impresses man, that, that large bank account or 401k, it impresses man. But what impresses man does not impress God because God's standard is different from man's. His ways, is, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His standards are not man's standards. And so what we should be looking for is what God wants. And the scriptures tell us in verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab and he made him pass before Samuel. So this is his other son. And, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. In other words, we're not going to sit down and eat this fellowship feast from this peace offering until you bring in the youngest. And so he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy. In other words, he had this healthy, this tanned or reddish complexion of skin. And he had bright, beautiful eyes. And he was good looking, speaking of David and and the Lord says to Samuel, arise, anoint him, place the oil upon him as a symbol. In other words, that I have chosen him for the position of king. So arise, anoint him, Samuel, for this is the one. 
And so in the text here, we see that God had identified the new king. And the new king happened to be the eighth and the, the, the youngest son of Jesse from Bethlehem. Now, this David, if you've been reading the scripture, he, he's a descendant of Boaz and Ruth. And you can read about Ruth in none other than the book of Ruth. And so he's a descendant of Ruth, a descendant of Boaz. And he's also a descendant of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, a descendant of Judah. Oh, this David, this, this young man here was a young shepherd, as we see. And at this time, he was probably around the age of 15, maybe a little younger than that. But we don't know for sure. But this is the king, the new king that the, the Lord wanted Samuel to anoint. You see, Samuel whom or Saul whom Samuel was grieving. He was the king that the people wanted. Saul was the king the people wanted. Head and shoulders above everyone else. Handsome, a, a very good warrior. He was implemented as king because God responded to the people's request. They, they wanted a king like all of the other nations around them. The king the people wanted. But what's important here is that David was the king that God wanted. So I wonder tonight if we ever gone before the Lord in prayer and asked God what he wants from us or for us. Or we're good about telling God what we want for us. But have we asked him, God, what do you want? For me, what do you know is best for me? And and I chose my words carefully not to say, what do you think God is best for me? Because it goes beyond thinking because God knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what's best for us. So have we ever gone into our prayer closet and prayed to God and said, God, what is best for me? Whatever God you want for me, I want that. Have we asked God that question? Because the people had a shot here, as we see in the lesson, as I've been sharing with you, the, the people had a say in the king they wanted. They got what they wanted. It didn't work out. But now it was God's turn to anoint the king that he wants. In verse 13, it says, then Samuel took the horn. He took that container full of oil and he anointed David among his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel, he arose and he went to Ramah. And now we can't be totally sure if Jesse and his other sons knew the exact reason that that Samuel was anointing David with oil. Because it could be that only God and Samuel knew what was going on. But we see here that, of course, it happened in this private ceremony. This young man was anointed with oil. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he, God himself, he came upon David. And throughout the remainder of Saul's reign as king, we, we see that God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to prepare David. To, to take over that throne. 
And so, yes, he's anointed king. He's chosen to be the next king. Although Saul will remain on the throne for several more years. But I want to point out the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon David from that day forward. And he equipped him for service. Because in the Old Testament, this is before, of course, uh, Jesus will come and, and suffer and die and be resurrected and ascend back to heaven. That's before that time. We see that the Holy Spirit had a different type of ministry with the people in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit will come upon certain people to equip them and empower them to do a certain job. And the Holy Spirit, of course, could be lifted from that person in the Old Testament. But this reminds us today, and speaking of the Holy Spirit, that we cannot be, and it's in fact impossible uh, for us to be successful in our walk and to be successful in our ministry or service that God has given us to do without the Holy Spirit equipping us and empowering us in and through our lives. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to not just indwell us, because that's what he does for every single true believer. He indwells every single believer and he molds us into the image of Christ from the inside out, helping us to be more like Jesus on a daily basis as we surrender to him. But we need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be poured upon us. We need, in other words, to be immersed with the Spirit. Some say we need to be uh, overflowed with the Holy Spirit so that now we'll begin to affect the lives of others. We'll begin to be effective witnesses for Christ. So we need that overflow. We need that baptism, that, that, that immersion in the Holy Spirit. And this is something that Jesus does for us because John the Baptist, he baptized people with water, with physical water. But John the Baptist says that Jesus baptizes people with what element? What? The Holy Spirit is the element that Jesus uses to baptize his people with. And so we need that baptism and we can pray for that today if you haven't received that. But in verse 14, as we continue, it says the whole the spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit. Departed, excuse me, departed from Saul and a distressing or a harmful spirit from the Lord troubled or tormented Saul. So the Holy Spirit departed from Saul and then a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him and so that's probably a verse that is troubling some of you because some of you are thinking how does God God doesn't create evil does he no he does not create evil he created the beings he he created Lucifer before he sinned he created people before people sin but but through those um Angelic beings through Lucifer's, that is Satan, and, and through those fallen angels, free will. They themselves have become evil. God didn't create them that way. God didn't create people with the sin nature. He created everything, and he said it was good. And, and in fact, it says very good. But man, 
angels, some angels, through free will, have made rebellious decisions. They rebelled against God, and, and that, that's where evil comes from. That's not something that God created. But let's start here first with, with the consequence for, for Saul. Because Saul had, he has shown a pattern of disobedience. And what did that show? It showed that he was a man who was not committed to the Lord. He was not committed to the Lord because of this pattern of disobedience, this pattern of being rebellious. And so the Holy Spirit leaving him is a consequence of his disobedience. But again, that's not what the Holy Spirit does today. He doesn't leave believers Today, there is a different ministry or way that the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. And I I can prove it to you in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. And I want you to notice the key word because Jesus says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. So the Holy Spirit indwells or abides with the true believer forever. Now, we can choose to surrender to the Holy Spirit or not. We can choose to obey our sin nature or our flesh or not. We still have that choice. And guess what? When we go the other way, when we obey our flesh, instead of surrendering to the Holy Spirit or walking in the Holy Spirit, then what does that do? The Holy Spirit doesn't force us to do anything, but the scripture says that it grieves the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And, and, and when we give in to that sin nature, then what, what happens from there? If you're a true believer, oftentimes you will feel conviction from who? Conviction from the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a difference between conviction from the Holy Spirit and condemnation, which comes from the enemy. Because condemnation, it makes you want to run further and further away from God. It makes you not want to pray. It makes you not want to go to church. It makes you not want to open up the Bible. That is condemnation that is from the enemy. But conviction, if you're a true believer, that's from the Holy Spirit. And that conviction, what does it do? It makes you want to draw nearer to the Lord. It makes you want to say, Lord, I have realized that I have sinned. I agree with you in my sin. And that's what it means to confess our sins. That means that we say the same thing as the Lord says. So if the Lord says that something is sin, we agree with him. And that is confessing our sin to say the same thing. And the Bible says that, that, that when we confess our sins to him, that the God we serve, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I wonder tonight if some of us are being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've been disobedient today or this past week. Are you being convicted? I encourage you to draw near to the Lord and to confess it to the Lord. But that Holy Spirit, praise God, as Jesus says, he may abide with you, the true believer forever. And he is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The unbelievers do not receive the Holy Spirit. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, and if you want the Holy Spirit, if you want the helper to indwell you tonight, and if you're not a believer, I would encourage you to repent. That means turn from your sin, change your mind, turn from that sin, change the way you feel about that sin.
You view it as acceptable right now. See it as unacceptable. See it as offensive to God, to a holy God and turn from it and turn to Jesus in faith. Put in your trust in him. And the scriptures tell us that when we do that, then we'll be born again. That means we receive a new birth and the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells us. And the scripture tells us that he abides with us for what? Forever. And so one consequence, going back to that consequence for King Saul, for his disobedience is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament departing from him. But also we see that uh, as a result of his disobedience is that God allowed an evil spirit to torment Saul. Now, now you have to remember that God is sovereign, that, that God is in control. God is the ultimate ruler and, and demons cannot do anything that God doesn't allow. Oh, and you can see that in the book of Job, how, how, how Satan wanted to really mess Job up, but God set parameters for what Satan is allowed to do. In that man's life. And Job, by the end of the story, by the end of the book, was literally blessed double for his trouble. So, so he ended up just being just immensely blessed. And so these demons, they may have free will, but, but God's plan is going to get accomplished even if demons or even people use their free will to do evil. If you don't believe me, I can point you to the life of Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Christ. You see, God allowed Judas to use his free will to do evil, but God still accomplished his plan by sending his son to the cross to die for our sins, to die in our place so that we don't have to face the penalty of our sins and go to hell. Oh, God made a way. God's plan will get accomplished. He's a sovereign God, even over demons. But in this case here in this scripture, we see that God wanted to dish out this consequence to Saul. And so he allowed this to happen. And and what it seems like here is that Saul would go on to suffer from a mental disorder caused from this demon. And now before some of you go too far, I I don't want you to think that all mental illness or disorders are caused by demons because some mental illnesses or disorders are are caused from long term substance abuse. Some is caused by past trauma, trauma or chemical imbalances. But but here Saul's uh, mental disorder, whatever he was going through, was caused by a demon that God allowed because of Saul's disobedience. In verse 15, it says, and Saul's servant said to him, so they observed what was going on and they said to Saul, they said, surely a distressing or an evil spirit from God is troubling you, is tormenting you. And so the servant said to Saul, uh, let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who was skillful on a harp which is a lyre or a, a, a string instrument that's a part of the harp family. And these servants says, they said, and it shall be that that this man will play it with his hand when this tormenting spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well, Saul. And so Saul in verse 17 said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring this man to me 
And then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing. This young man is a mighty man of valor. He's a man of war, or in other words, a warrior. He is prudent, or in other words, he's a good speaker, or he's eloquent in speech. And this young man is also a handsome person. We know this guy, and and also the Lord is with him. And so in looking for someone who can be helpful to King Saul as he is going through this mental and emotional torment, this young man, David, is brought up. His name is brought up here as a person who can come help him. And David is described here as someone who is skillful in playing the harp or this musical instrument. He's described as a brave man. He's described as a warrior and as a handsome person. And he is described as a as a man who was eloquent with his words. And so no wonder the scriptures say that David is the sweet psalmist of Israel. Because this young man, he will go on to write the majority of the Psalms, including Psalm 23. And so this young man who was a shepherd, this sweet psalmist of Israel who was eloquent in speech, he would go on to write one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he would go on to write the majority of those Psalms, by the way. This young man was eloquent. Handsome, brave, a warrior, but one of Saul's servants would go on to to top off the description of David by saying that the Lord is with him. And so I want to point out that phrase because the most important thing or impressive thing about us that should be said that I would once said about me is that the Lord is with me. Oh, that young man up there, he has glasses on. He has curly hair, and some of the curly hair is fading away, and, and he's wearing those, those new shoes that his wife and son bought him or whatever the case may be. But, but the most impressive thing about that young man on that stage is that the Lord is with him, and that's something that I want to be said about me, and I, and I would think that it's something that you would want to be said about you over everything else, over even over uh, how beautiful or how handsome you look or over how much money you may make the most impressive thing about you should be that the Lord is with you and so therefore Saul verse 19 he sent messengers to Jesse and and he says send me your son David who is with the sheep that the eighth son of yours the youngest son of yours and Jesse took a donkey loaded with with bread a skin of wine and a young goat and he sent them by his son David to Saul And so David came to Saul and he stood before him or in other words, he entered his service and 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 Saul loved David greatly and and David became his armor bearer. And then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever that evil spirit from God was upon Saul. It says that David will take a harp and he'll play it with his hand and then Saul will become refreshed and well and the distressing or that evil spirit it says here would depart from him oh notice that 
that he would become refreshed and well when David played that music. And I just want to know tonight if we have that refreshing effect on others. Or, or do we have that effect on others that when we come around, other people want to leave? Yes, that's something we should desire and pray for. Lord, help me to be a refreshing presence, just like your servant David was, that young man who was after your own heart. Oh, that young man, David, as we see in the scriptures, it says that, that he was the least expected. He was the least expected to be anointed as the next king. He was the least expected to be looked upon as special and worthy of this special anointing from Samuel, who was the representative of God. He was the least expected. In fact, David's own father didn't even invite him to the sacrifice. So all of the other seven sons were there, but not David. He was out taking care of the sheep. As a matter of fact, neither did his seven brothers invite him and say, hey, Samuel, that that great prophet of the Lord is here and he invited us to the sacrifice. Come on, David. Come on and join us. Even his brothers did not invite him. Oh, David was the least expected. Oh, and I wonder tonight, have you been in that position? Have you been in that position of being overlooked? Have you been in that position of being left out? Oh, the good news is, is that we don't have to stand out to man. So, yeah, they may leave us out. They may, they may leave us out of the conversation for that promotion or for that opportunity, whether it's, it's for a ministry or whatever the case may be. We may not stand out to man. We may be the least expected in their eyes. We may not be super valued to man. But once again, the good news is that we don't have to stand out to man to be used by God. Because God is the one who specializes in using the least expected. And if you can go through all of the scriptures, you can see plenty of examples of, of those you would con be con who would be considered as the least expected to do something great. They will be considered the least expected to be used mightily by God. You can look through the scriptures and see those people beginning with David here because that's where our lesson falls. Because to some, maybe David was too young. Maybe David was a better fit to look after sheep instead of being used mightily by God as a king. Or maybe if you think of Abraham and Sarah. Oh, some may look at them as the least expected to have a son, Isaac, because Abraham was 100 and, and Sarah were, was 90 years old when they had a son or oh, a son in their old age. And so they were the least expected. And, and someone may look at Jacob as the least expected. He, some may look at him and say, oh, that young man was too deceitful to have a nation named after him. Because remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so he will be the least expected in some people's eyes to have a nation after him, to have 12 tribes come after him. And in some people's eyes, they may look at Moses and say that that young man is, is the least expected to be used to be the human deliverer of the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, because Moses doesn't even speak that well. And some people may look at Mary, the mother of Jesus in the New Testament, 
women and say she may be the least expected to bring forth the Messiah because she was too young. And in fact, she lived in the wrong city. She she lived in Nazareth because at one point in the New Testament, in John chapter one, uh, one of the uh, one of those who would become Jesus's disciples would ask the questions. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But some people may look at Mary and say, oh, she's from the wrong side of town. She's from the wrong city. Oh, she's too young. And so she will be the least expected to bring forth the Christ, the Messiah. And some people will look at Peter to be the least expected to be used in a mighty way in the book of Acts or, or, or early on in the church history. Because some will look at him and say, oh, he denied Christ three times. And, and so Peter is too much of a coward to be used in a mighty way by God and so some will look at him and say he is the least expected to be used in a mighty way and some people may even look at may even look at Paul whose name was also Saul and and say that guy is too mean he's going around persecuting Christians and carrying them off to jail he's too mean to be used in a mighty way by God Oh, but that same Paul will be used by God to write most of the letters in the New Testament the least expected and and tonight no you may not be in line to become the next king you may not be in line to become the next queen you may not be in line to become the next senior pastor but guess what God chose you for a specific job and he chose you for a specific position in the body of Christ and and you may be the one for the position or responsibility you may be the one Somebody else may be the one for a certain position or responsibility. But that's okay. God knows where to put us. He knows where we fit best. Some of you may be saying, oh, nobody expects me to do anything anything great. I'm not, I'm not that qualified, but guess what? What is going to qualify you for the position that God called you to is the same thing that qualified David for his position as Saul's musician and also for his position as the next king of Israel. So what qualified David? Well, you don't have to look past verse 18 because the thing that qualified him for his position and that will qualify you for the task that God wants you to do is the fact that The Lord is with you. And so is there anybody tonight who wants to be used by God? You've been praying about it. You have that burden upon your heart, but you feel as though you don't look good enough, that you don't look the part, that you don't dress the part, that your bank account does not look the part, that, that, oh, I'm not smart enough, or I haven't gone to Bible college, or I haven't gone to seminary, or I don't have a doctoral degree, I I don't have a master's degree, I haven't gone to this prestigious school or or college, and so I don't have what it takes to be in that role to be in that position and in fact I'm not rich enough I don't drive a nice car so I'm not a good fit for this job in fact a lot of the saints in the church they don't even know my name they walk past me and don't even shake my hand so God how can I be used in a mighty way by you when people don't even know who I am so are you in that position tonight where you are in that position of the category of the least expected Well, if that's you, you're in a good place. 
Because 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, and I'll read from the New Living Translation. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when the Lord called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Do you realize that the Lord in these scriptures, he's talking about us, the saints, the church, the bride of Christ. Oh, God chose those things despised by the world, looked down upon by the world, not of value by the world. He, he chose us things that are not counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And he says, as a result, no one could ever boast in the presence of God. As the worship team comes to the stage, I want to let you know tonight that God chooses whom he chooses. He uses whom he wants to use. Oh, we see that in these verses in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. We, we see that in our main text, our foundational text for the night in 1 Samuel 16. He chooses whom, whom he chooses and he uses whom he wants to use. And, and so when it's all said and done, even if you are the least expected in man's eyes, the fact that God will use the quote unquote least expected You see, when it's all said and done, what that means is that nobody else gets the glory except for God. He gets the credit. He gets the honor. He gets the acknowledgement, in other words, of his greatness. And so tonight I told you that that this lesson would help to challenge our mindset. Because we want to change our mindset to come into alignment with God's point of view. Because remember, the goal, the ultimate goal is to reach our full potential in Christ. And so the mindset I want all of us to take with us tonight is is that mindset that says that, that yes, yes, I'm not all that to man. Yes, that's true. I'm not all that to man. But you know what? God can use me. However, it's going to be for his glory. It's going to be for God's glory and not mine, not man. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you use ordinary people. You use the least expected and man's eyes we thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve you in any way and Lord we pray Lord that you continue to work in us and through us help us to do your will Father if there's anybody who's down upon down on themselves tonight thinking that they cannot be used by you, Lord. I, I pray that you will change their mindset to come into alignment with your view, with your mindset, that yes, you can use them, but it'll be for your glory, Lord. So when we have that mindset, Father, 
that everything is about you for your honor, for your glory. Oh, Lord, we pray that that mindset, that realization will bring us peace as it helps to lift the burden from us to perform in our flesh. And I pray for anybody tonight who maybe need to rededicate their lives to you or have never gave their lives to Jesus. I pray that you would draw them tonight and that, Lord, they would become your, your child and become a citizen in your kingdom. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.